all kinds of mic drops, math mic drops that are happening yes. uh, today, which is super great. Yeah, I feel like there's extra pressure um, in mathematics, especially for people of color that they hold on to. And Jerka and I, we ran um, a circle for math teachers of color and it was heavy. Like people come into that circle and they were like, this is how people see me. Hi everybody and welcome to the Critical Math Drop podcast with your favorite math teachers, Carrie Coca and Michelle Cody. With our special guest today. We got a hell of guests in the building. Yeah, we do. It's a party, it's a fiesta. We do, we're really excited. Sure. We're really yeah. excited. This is our first uh, our first group group session. We've only, uh, we, we're expanding our relationship our, to bring in more people. We're excited about that, Carrie. Spicing it up for the new year. That's what we're trying to do? Yes. Spicing it up. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's get started. Do you, I, first of all, want to say, like, this is the first week back at school. And my babies, I don't know what is happening with them, but they are giving me the queen treatment. I mean, just like no drama. They're like, yes, Miss Cody. No, Miss Cody. Whatever you say, ma'am. And I'm like, are these my final Wow. Words? Is the world is the world ending? Is the Lord coming? I don't know. Uh, maybe I don't know. I I did pray to God for the for the blessed and highly favor package for 2024. So let Him rain that down on me accordingly, because I'm ready. I am ready for that 100. Um, percent Okay, let's get started. You ready? Yes. Uh, I'm going to introduce two of our fabulous folks. First, we have Jennifer Dow. Um, she is a national board certified, check that out, that's my dream, um, having taught math, middle school math for nine years and currently teaches high school mathematics. She serves as a five through eight director for Illinois Council of Teachers of Mathematics, say that seven times fast. Her work centers around fostering student self-advocacy through honoring identities and actively connecting students' passions with mathematics while navigating systems in the education. Guess why we invited Jennifer? Because that sounds a whole lot like what we're trying to do here. Uh, next, we have Jerrica Gerardo. Um, they are a youth and teacher educator. They have taught mathematics in both middle school and high school settings with systematic oppression, oppressed communities on the South and West side of Chicago. Jerrica's work with youth have focused on dismantling the school to prison pipeline by incorporating culturally relevant pedagogy, transformative justice practices, and circle work to cultivate empathy and communities as pillars in mathematics learning. We literally just talked about circle work a couple episodes ago. So this is all coming um, together. Carrie, you want to take it away? Take it away. Yes. I was going to say this is all coming full circle. But I'm about all the dead jokes. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm not as funny and as you, Michelle, but I try. That's okay. Um, <laughs> uh, Esther Song, she, her, is the co-author of Disrupting, the newly published Disrupting Injustice, Navigating Wait. Critical Moments. This is the clapping. Yeah, we're going to add in the applause sound when we edit. <laughs> 
Um, navigating critical moments in the classroom. She has served as the district mathematics manager at Chicago Public Schools and as a high school math teacher. She has also been on the publishing committee for the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics. Her work is centered around rehumanizing math classrooms, focusing on student and teacher math identity. Um, so we're going to be asking Esther questions about her book. We're really excited to talk about it. And Chanel Kayvon, she, hers, has experience serving as a junior high school assistant principal and high school math teacher in Illinois. Her areas of expertise include inclusive instruction, school-wide systems and processes, and culturally informed approaches to learning. Her work focuses on developing methods that go beyond binary approaches to humanize diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts while prioritizing the development of sustainable communities and authentic identities. Uh, and I know I personally am going to have questions for you about your administrative expertise as a, an assistant principal. Um, so we are super excited for you all to join us. Um, we know it's a little bit later for you in Chicago right now. And you founded your organization, Nth Education Partners, originally called the Nepantla Teachers Community. And we're excited to learn more about your work. So we will um, give the mic to you and so that you can tell us, you know, how you got started, how you met each other, what type of services and resources you offer, and anything else you'd like to share with us about your organization. Sure, I can go ahead and start us off with how we got started. Um, so our work uh, at Nth Education Partners LLC is born from our collective efforts over the last 10 years at Nepantla Teachers Community. Um, so we recently underwent this model change and our business is committed to expanding the lens through which math is viewed. Um, each letter in our business, uh, Nth, represents pillars in our organizations. N is for Nepantla which is a Nahuatl term representing the unknown in an in-between space. T is for transformation because we want to transform the oppressive conditions within our math education system. And H is for humanize because we know how important it is and critical to center each person's joy and inherent dignity for long-term change and sustainability. And ultimately, our organization, which has been the work that we've been committed to over the last 10 years, really wants to emphasize and focus that everyone is capable of being a math person and building a healthy, sustainable, long-term relationship with mathematics where they are living it. Yeah, so Chanel, uh, Jen, and I were part of a program um, together at the U of I or um, University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign under um, Dr. Rochelle Gutierrez as when we were pre-service teachers, we went through this um, kind of noise scholars program that um, I, think, I think Rochelle did something really special there that probably other programs didn't. She formed a community and, um, and she actually started kind of these yearly um, conferences for both alum and for current students. And we learned about um, what it meant to really 
think about oppression and mathematics and racism and um, social issues with within the math ed context. Um, so that's actually the birthplace of where we started because we started with yearly conferences and then Jerrica joined on um, through one of those conferences um, that came from the U of I. And once that ended at U of I, we just kept doing them. And then um, as we were doing it, we kind of bloomed into something else. Yeah, it was such a really beautiful experience for us to continue the work that we did in college because it was we were so passionate about the community we had formed and we didn't want to end that. And we've been together for so long. I think it's been we might be on our nine, ninth or 10th year um, together from when all of this started. And throughout, we've really evolved as individuals, not only as educational professionals, but also our own understanding of oppression and how that looks like in math ed. And so over time, our services that we now provide under Nth Education Partners I think showcases all of that, those experiences and growth that we have had as individuals as, and as a team. So just to give like a little overview of what we do, um, we have a variety of different services that are really designed to meet um, any educational professional level within schools and districts. And we really like to prioritize the customization of the work that we do to really meet the needs of whoever we're working with. So we can work with um, teachers to teacher leaders, instructional coaches, all the way up to school and district leaders as well. And this can look like we've done stuff where we've done facilitation of different workshops or provided training for a group of teachers or leaders. Um, all the way to doing more consulting around some of strategic planning with math education, um, coaching, as well as uh, I think something we're really proud of is we've done some cohorts specific to um, anti-racism in the math classroom. And those have been really powerful uh, community-based experiences that um, not only us as facilitators, but the participants also took a lot out of. Really, our work is centered on what we call JEDI mathematics. So the J stands for justice, E for equity, D for diversity, and I for inclusion. Um, and all of that kind of comes together for us to work on disrupting these types of injustices, specifically in math education, um, to whatever local context or whatever educational professional uh, we may be working with. And so in summary, we are committed to transforming and rehumanizing mathematics education. And we just want everyone to know that whatever point they find themselves at in this process, we are here to support your journey and um, hopefully people will know that you're not alone and together uh, we can go further and uh, build higher and you know work towards building a very and cultivating like very positive spaces for our math teachers as well as school environments so that teach um, students can have a high quality education can you um talk a little bit about 
kind of your evolution from the Nepantla teachers community. And I know you were doing some cohort work too with math teachers of color, I believe, um, and how you kind of transitioned from that to the work with the LLC and selfishly, you know, Michelle and I have <laughs> talked about, um, well, Michelle's really been pushing me, you know, like Carrie, we need to make an LLC and I know nothing about that. And so, um, yeah, I, I personally selfishly would just love to learn more about that process and that transition that you've made. And go ahead and take that. Um, so I think for us, a big, uh, pillar in our work, like we said, is the joy, right? That, there has to be joy at the heart and center of everything. And that's how our collective has survived over a decade, right? Is this adhesive of joys at the center. So I think our, our collective has really survived because we focused on that joy in the work that we do and really um, using our, our focus of centering on that joy instead of focusing on a lot of the despair that is in a lot of social justice work, um, using hope as a discipline. And I think in that, when we engaged with, you know, annual conferences, with cohorts, with um, BIPOC only spaces, um, at the heart of all of that was cultivating um, this joy and this belief that a different world is possible within mathematics. And I think that when we are really believing in that different world, um, that means that we're also a part of it and we also deserve justice for that. And we deserve to be paid for our work and for our labor because a lot of the work that we've done over the last 10 years has been a labor of love coming from just our own hearts. And there's been a lot of work that we've done that's been unpaid, a lot of expertise that we've shared that, um, we haven't gotten monetary gains from, and we've done this all on top of being full-time teachers, which we all know what that work and load looks like, or being full-time administrators, being full-time uh, district managers. And it was always something extra that we did, but I think the way we were able to sustain it was really the key is, is to find community and joy in each other and to connect and know that we're fighting for this better world, but that we also deserve to be a part of that better world to be paid for our work. Um, and, and that's what's fair. And that's what's just right. And that's what's equitable too to uplift um, one another in these communities that are trying to push forward another vision. Um, that's speaking all kinds of volumes, Jerrica, because like, two of the things, I think that sometimes when we think about social justice, mathematics, it always focuses on oppression in this weird way. Like, it's like, oh, let's talk about all the things that are not going right. And let's talk about all the things, because that's, there's value to that though, right? Like, how do we get our kids to be like, let's identify what things are happening, what unjust things are happening with our community. And let's hyper-focus on how we can like either identify and put a numerical like Value, and when I mean numerical value, I always say this all the time, like, and I was just talking to my dad about this. When people want to tell a story, they use statistics to tell that story, regardless of if the statistical information is 100% accurate. If you throw the right numbers in front of people, you can convince them. And that's the same thing with true with children. Like, if you're able to get these young folks to see the data and then be able to tell that their story with that data, that's transformative. However, 
sometimes we find ourselves living in this world of just like, we're always lacking. We're always like, it's like oppression Olympics, right? And so mm -hmm. how like centering some lessons in joy, in spirit can also help them to see the beauty in themselves. And I also like this whole idea of like free labor. We talk about this all the time. Like I stay giving out stuff, right? And it, it's actually because of Carrie that I've gotten paid for a lot of the things that I've done. Mm -hmm. Like Carrie's been like, nah, if you want to talk to somebody, talk to her and pay her. And it is, it is a beautiful feeling for people to be like, I'm going to use your work. I'm going to respect your hustle and I'm going to pay you. And people actually look at you differently. When folks got to dole out a check and write you some money, then all of a sudden it's like, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, whatever, ma'am. And I'm like, two days ago, you was hitting me up like I was just a regular, you know, schmegler ass classroom teacher. But now that you got to write me a check, all of a sudden you put a little respect on my name. And I am the same person from two days ago. But your like your intent and your monetary value of me has changed. And therefore, the way you get at me changes. Right. And I think that's super, super important because. Unfortunately, especially as women of color, we find ourselves in these spaces of like, we're just happy to be in the room. And because we're just happy to be in the room, we'll take on way more than our like white counterparts, especially our white male counterparts. And we need to, 2024 needs to be like, nah, boo, you should be blessed that I'm in the room. I need a seat at the table. You can have paper plates. You giving me the china. You giving me all the, not, and I'm not talking about the like little flimsy forks. Nah, bro, you bringing me the big, thick forks, that heavy. Have you ever been to a restaurant with those heavy forks? You're like, that's, that's the kind of stuff that you're bringing to me because I'm bringing all that stuff. I'm bringing everything in this space by my experiences, by my knowledge, by my history, and by my I, my my like innate just just for my children. Like I I have a I'm I am invested in them on a whole nother level because these are my people, these are my loves, these are what I need to do. So I, I appreciate like that that sense of joy that and the fact that y'all are acknowledging how like people need to put some respect on what y'all doing. And that's that's beautiful. That is a beautiful message to send um to folks so yeah yeah i was gonna say that um we just had a whole bunch of mic drops and really that's how the name of the podcast came about was we were recording and michelle was talking about a critical mic drop and i said oh my gosh michelle that's the name that's the name of the podcast critical math drop and especially Jerica, when you were talking about i'm gonna say i'm kind of re-saying the same thing as you michelle but i just wanted to you know, like being compensated is so important. And it, I think right now also, like, I, I'm just excited to be looking at the screen at all of us women of color, having this time and space together, I think is really powerful and beautiful and an experience of joy. Um, and I also think that having these critical affinity spaces, you know, the that you did with the educators of color with the work that you have done is also opportunities for us to engage in our own healing work because we're not having to explain to other people worried about what someone might might say and then how we have to respond and was that a microaggression am i gaslighting myself like what's really happening <laughs> all those things become um irrelevant that we don't have to deal with 
and you also get to make mistakes, right? Because when you're in a space when folks look like you, there is this like feeling. I talk about this all the time. Like when I was at my the high school, my high school, there was like 6% black folks. And so I was always like black Michelle, right? Black Michelle first. Like, and it was a pretty academic school. And I remember one time we were talking about slavery. Hand to God, y'all. My teacher was like, asked me <laughs> how I feel about slavery. And I was like, well, I don't like when my mama whooped me. So I'm assuming that slavery is a bad thing. And it's like, how do you single out the only black person in that classroom and ask them about slavery? And and that teacher probably didn't think anything wrong of it. They thought they were making some like low ball connection with me. And it's like, nah, friend, that's not the case. But then when I went to Howard, when everybody's been kissed by the sun, I got to be Michelle. And that comes with so much privilege because there's such a heavy weight when you when you are the one in the room, when you're the only woman in the room, when you're the only black person in the room, when you're the only young person in the room, there's this weight that you like this, like the drop, the, the shoe is ready to drop. Like you're somebody's waiting for you to mess up. So it could be like, see, we let them in a room and they messed up. So take them back out. And there's no ability to like learn and to grow and to heal in those spaces. And so that is the, 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 the key point of affinity spaces because people should be able to just like emotionally, mentally while out and grow and be okay, right? And we don't get that. So I, just like, yes, you're right, Carrie. This is all kinds of mic drops, math mic drops that are happening yes. uh, today, which is super great. Yeah, I feel like there's extra pressure um, in mathematics especially for people of color that they hold on to. And Jerka and I, we ran um, a circle for math teachers of color and it was heavy. Like people come into that circle and they were like, this is how people see me. People expect a certain level of intelligence because of the way that I look. We had um, black teachers say that they didn't feel as competent, not that they didn't feel as competent internally, but they didn't feel that other people didn't see them as competent. They got lower level classroom assignments. They got people who questioned whether they actually had mathematical authority. And that was on one side of the POC kind of um, circle. And then on the other side, we had Asians who were like, I didn't actually like have a strong math background, but people expect a very strong math background from me because I'm Asian. The The pressure that's like put on specifically in math, specifically for people of color, I think that's something that like is, is so tragic that, that we come out of, you know, 12 years, 14 years, 16 years of education, and we, we leave feeling like um, our race, our skin tone, has something to do with our intelligence or mathematical capacity. That, that I think that's like a real tragedy. Yeah, and I think to kind of tie together um, all the pieces we just talked about, that f those messages become ingrained into our identity. And especially I think of um, teacher of math teacher of color, and how that also translates into the space. And something that was really difficult for me was I actually um, have transitioned out of the education 
like space temporarily and have been doing uh, some of my own um, consulting work. And what's really difficult is being able to value yourself in these oppressive systems and structures and be able to advocate for your worth. So similar to how we transitioned into being an LLC and being able to advocate for our, um, you know, being paid for our services. I think along with that, something we learn early on as um, educators is that we are to do these things just because of the kindness of our heart. Um, particularly in Illinois, the teacher unions really cover um, all of the like monetary value of how they assign things to teachers. And once you step out of that space and have to advocate for yourself and be able to decide what is your worth or even just having to negotiate for a particular payment, it brings in a lot of these things from the identity space of um, things that you learn from it being in the math classroom around numbers, around being able to put value to the work that you're doing, having confidence in that. And I think that, you know, in some ways the the system is really teaches us to not value ourselves, not be able to be powerful in our identity, um, particularly for people of color and students of color and teacher of color. And so I think that's something that's really sticking with me throughout this conversation that we're having now is that social justice in the math classroom isn't just about what's happening in the classroom, but it's also the the legacy of how that impacts individuals, even as they move on into their professional lives and settings. Yeah, and again, I think that's why, you know, like you all have a, a critical affinity space with the four of you and we all need our hype people <laughs> who are the ones who you know you get this opportunity you get this invitation to do something and you need your hype person you know you run it by them and they're like okay you need to ask for this much money i know this person and this person got invited by that organization and they paid them x amount and that person was a white man or that person was a man of color whatever the case may be, um, to be able to say like, okay, this is what I'm going to ask for. And if, you know, they don't want to say yes to it, like no harm, no foul. I, my time is valuable anyway, so I can just say no to that opportunity. Yeah. And I also, <laughs> I also think that like, you also need hype people to be in your corner to be like, you could do this. Like you got this. I, um, a couple of years ago, I got the opportunity to be the keynote speaker at Asilomar. And I remember calling Angela Torres. She was like one of the first people that called. And I was like, Angela, I got asked to be the keynote. And she's like screaming and so happy. And like, we're just, and I told my parents, my parents were super excited for me. But like, Angela was like really excited because she understood like what this meant. And on that day of Asilomar, my the, my boss's boss's boss so the, the the head of the math department ho win who is an asian man he was like there in the front row and he was like let me record i got i got your ipad let me record i'm gonna oh, be right he recorded he recorded and he was I, like, michelle did i i watched that whole thing recently oh 
I don't even think I told you. I watched it recently. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. We're going to share the link with everyone. Yeah. So he recorded it and he was just like, let me record this. And just like was so beaming and so proud. And Angela was like, I can't record it because I'm going to be too busy being like, yes, yes. And I was like, yes, please. (laughs) I need somebody with a steady hand. But it's just like, it was so amazing that these people that are on paper have higher status than me, right? were sitting there and they were like cheering for me on the sideline, right? And that right there is just a testament because it is hard. Like as a black woman, as a math people, like I got to convince folks that I'm a math teacher. Like I have a student teacher who's now a classroom teacher, Rachel Cal. We're sitting in class one day. Mind you, and this also plays into it. Like most of the time, my hair is like purple and green and all kinds of fun things. Um, but she was sitting in the class. I was in the class. She's my student teacher. Some adult walks into the room, looks at both of us, and walks to her and starts to talk to her like she's a classroom teacher. And Rachel was like, uh, I'm not the teacher. She is. And and the crazy person, person that that person was a black woman that did that. So like, yeah, Mm -hmm. so she was like, huh, because society has told me that this space is not occupied normally by women, but there's also this hierarchical thing. Like I'm never expecting a black woman to be the person leading this eighth grade math class. And it is, it was just like, it was irritating. And this, this has happened like seven years ago. And I still can tell that story with fever because it was like, damn girl, like, like your own people will be like, and, and that's how ingrained this, in, like this racism is, is like how like institutionalized, how like, like how it just comes out of like our blood because she's so conditioned to think that I'm not the one. And it's not even, it's not even because it's harmful. It's not, I don't even think there's like malintent. It's just like, that is the reality. And so how do we, um, what that 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 movie where the like y'all are get we're just talking about gaming the oh it's the movie with Ryan Ryan something and he's a a background he he in the video game he's a background player and he does the same thing every day and it's and he like a bank gets robbed and he's like hit the floor yada yada and anyway something happens and he starts to fight back. And he decides like I'm like he doesn't oh, realize yes, the Ryan Reynolds movie. Yeah, Ryan I Reynolds. Just that movie. Yes, he doesn't realize that he lived his whole life not realizing he was a background player, and then something happened, and he didn't realize he was a background player, but he realized that something wasn't right, and so he started to fight against the system, right? And he started. Yes, like, I love that movie. Things. It's a free really, guy. Free guy. Free guy. Free guy. It's a really good movie, and mm. it's a really good movie because. Some people will just watch it and be like, that's a good movie. But it speaks a lot of stuff to like, at some point, there's a, there's got to be a change where you're like, I'm not going to be, what is it, a non-player character, an NPC, right? I'm not going to be an NPC. Like, I'm not going to be that anymore. Like, I am actively going to be a part of this thing. I'm going to dismantle this thing. And, and you may not even know the magnitude of what you're trying to dismantle. But you know, there's something's got to change, right? And that, and that's what I love about um, this movie. Um, if Ryan Reynolds is listening, just run us some money. You can send us a check because we just dropped a, a good review about your money. You made hella money off that money. You can give us a couple of thousand dollars 
with some zeros on there. You can handle that. Uh, or hit my toner's shoes up. That's always a thing too. Lots of money in my toner's shoes. <laughs> but Michelle, you're making actually the perfect segue um, for us to discuss the resource that you all created, the racism in math education, because that resource talks about internalized racism, systemic racism, how things are permeated in society. Uh, so could you tell us about this resource? We're going to offer the link on our website also. Thank you so much for uplifting um, our resource. We really appreciate that. Uh, it really came from Throughout our work, what we realize is that this myth that math is the most neutral or unbiased subject is so embedded and almost in an insidious way into how we um, look at math in our uh, society. And so this misconception really adds to the confusion around social justice math even existing as a concept in general. And so really what our focus was in developing this resource is to make the invisible structures of racism, oppression in the math classroom, um, how that looks like with norms, uh, with conversation, communication, activities, uh, and not just within the classroom, but beyond the classroom into education system as a whole, and to make those invisible structures essentially visible. And what we found is a lot of the times just making these structures visible and just by cultivating that awareness is like 50%, maybe even arguably like 70% of just being able to understand what social justice looks like in the math classroom. So that's kind of the motivation for what led to this resource is to be able to make those invisible structures visible. Yeah, we wanted to make it something that is, um, useful for teachers and for school leaders and for administrators, people that are in schools every day. So we organized it um, using um, a framework, uh, the levels of oppression framework um, from the text, Something is Wrong, um, The Roots of Youth Violence uh, by Miriam Kaba and several others. Um, we didn't make it to be an exhaustive list. We weren't saying like, oh, every everything on here is what you're going to see. We, we wanted to give a few examples in each of the categories. So there are four categories that we um, utilized. Um, the first one is personal. And that's like the racism that we experience be within ourselves almost, like uh, internalized. It's... Um, it's for like an Asian American, for example, which is what I am, um, feeling not good enough because I'm Asian and I'm not good at math. Like that, that is an example of like, oh, I experienced this internally and, um, and it's now part of my identity, which is different than something that might be like more interpersonal that's between people. Um, that can look like very subtly um, a teacher praising a black student 
for doing very, very basic math. Um, and then not doing that for a white or an Asian student because they have higher expectations. It's, it's a kind of, you know, these are like small things that people aren't thinking about every day. They're, they're thinking, I want to do what's right for students. But, but our beliefs that are ingrained, which is that the color of our skin is going to determine mathematical intelligence, mathematical brightness. That's the part that we're really trying to like tease out and say like, this is actually real and we're doing it. Like, it's not just you, it's not just me. As a society, we're doing this. Um, and, and we go on through like uh, different categories, like institutional, what are the tracking structures that exist? Um, and, and even kind of like, what are the cultural things that are happening? Um, I'm not going to like go through each one of those, but but just to give kind of a taste of like, yeah, I, I we hope that this resource is going to be used in um, in a way that will dismantle the racist things that happen in uh, math education that are and a lot of it is not intentional. A lot of it is not I shouldn't say not intentional, but I should say a lot of it is under our radar. Like we're not even thinking about it because it's just so part of our natural society. Yeah. And um, I um, notice also that in your book with Dr. Latifa E. Dean, Esther, um, so I haven't had the opportunity to read the whole thing, but I read um, the beginning of it and the framing of it. And I can tell that that's also what you're doing in the book, right? You're trying to illuminate for people these systems and structures and things that happen in the classroom are actually tied to systemic oppression in order to, to dismantle it. Um, so we wanted to congratulate you again on uh, your book you. with Dr. Latifa E. Dean. Um, and, you know, what would you like to share with our audience about it? What will teachers learn and take away from it what are you most excited about um yeah we're excited to learn from you um I, yeah I, I i won't take up too much time um i will say that it started because latifa and i were reviewing some books that were coming through the pipeline and um i was a teacher at the time and i was i was like you know none of these books speak to me as a teacher. And I say that because I don't have, like my first and biggest challenge is not like, how do I structure a PLC in my classroom or, or with, with other teachers? Like my first and biggest challenge is like, wow, I have a lot of students that do not have interest in what I'm saying <laughs> about math. Like there are a lot of people who just, do not care at all. And, um, and, and I'm not blaming them. I get it. It's just like, how do you, how do you deal with that? And, um, and so Latifa and I were talking about this, like kind of jokingly. And she was like, you know what, we need something else out there. Like we need something that's going to really speak to the teacher experience. Um, so, so yes, it is built off of like a lot of teachers, learn about social justice and they hear about it. And then a lot of math teachers and specifically kind of are like, that's great for other teachers. 
Like, that's great mm -hmm. for the social studies teacher. That's great for the English teacher. That's hell, it's even great for the PE teacher. But, but certainly not in math class, where we've got to go and talk about like, the quadratic formula, or we've got to learn about uh, Pythagorean theorem, like, how is this, how is social justice gonna like fit into this. Um, and, and we tried to say, like, actually, it happens every day. It's not one of those, like, teach a lesson and, you know, you know, February 28th, call it a good day and like, you know, move on to the next thing. It, 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 it's like, it's like, no, actually, this is this is happening in your classroom tomorrow. And, and it happened yesterday. So like, let's let's think about that. So we, we offer kind of like um, accounts of what it looks like. And we make that account so that it's like, oh, I've seen that in my classroom. I've done that. I've felt that. I've experienced those tensions that, that this teacher has experienced. And then we share what did this teacher do to disrupt injustice in their classroom. And the key thing here is that we don't share it so that you can copy and paste it. I think there's a lot of education reform out there that's like teacher proof. Mm -hmm. And by teacher proof, I mean like it doesn't matter who the teacher is. This is going to work like um you know standards-based grading it's not a bad idea it's just that it's like teacher proof it, it doesn't matter who you are this is a good idea or kind of building a curriculum like you get the curriculum doesn't matter who you are this curriculum is going to be the thing that works we take the opposite approach we say actually the the main thing that matters is the person in the room that's in front of students and we're not going to say like actually you need to do for this specific injustice you need to do what Ms. Lowe does. For this specific injustice, you need to do what Mr. Savage does. That's not what we're saying. We're saying, here's an example, but then we ask very, very intent intently, like, who are you? What's your background? What's your racial identity? What's your, um, what are your uh, relationships with others? What are, what is your student relationships look like? What year of teaching are you in? These are all things that make your specific response very nuanced. And nuance is something that we need more of in education right now. I think before it's been kind of like, everyone do this. And it's like, no, that, that doesn't work because we're people. And, and, and we, don't, we can't do that kind of copy and paste mentality. Um, so we're really trying to empower teachers to say like, you have um, assets and you need to bring them to the table so that we can disrupt injustice as a whole, um, both in the small and big picture. Do you think that, um, I love this so much um, because I think it really helps teachers to gain political clarity. And I guess what I'm curious, because I know that you were Dr. Rochelle Gutierrez's student and I'm doing work with her now with um, Dr. Marielle Myers. And um, I'm curious if, the in your shoes the rehearsals that you did of different scenarios when you were um, working with her if that kind of like influenced your thinking i i definitely think that yeah i think so i will say like i credit a lot of kind of the way that i think um to rochelle um as a student of hers and I'll say, actually, there's one particular thing that I did with Rochelle that like really 
sat with me that I think influenced a lot of this book. And it was, um, we were, she invited me to be part of the editorial panel of the APME um, book. Um, uh, wow, I'm forgetting the name of it. Um, Rehumanizing Mathematics Education, something like that for Black and Indigenous students. Oh, yes, yeah, the yeah, one yeah. that she edited with Dr. Imani Goffney. Yeah, and so I, I had the immense privilege to be part of the editorial panel that like took in the, the text and read through them. And what was fascinating to me was that there were all of these amazing accounts of what disrupting injustice looked like, of what social justice looks like. And each one were very catered to their community, to their moment in time. There was nothing about it that I could see was like copy and pasteable. Like I can't just take the program that they ran because it was built off of like the knowledge of these two professors, or I can't just take this idea that they had here with this indigenous population and take it to Chicago public schools. Like it, it wasn't something that I could just say like, oh, let me do the same exact thing. And yet there's something similar about those things. And, and one of the similarities is that the, the people doing this, leading this work were, were contextual. They were recognizing the people that they're working with. They're recognizing their own experiences and and the gifts that they brought and and merging those things together. I I think when I was seeing that, I was like, why aren't we looking more at that instead of kind of going into like, let's ignore who the teacher is. Like Michelle's a teacher now. And if we took away her entire who she is, her her race, her personality, her um, her wealth of information, her expertise, like, like that is the kind of person that we're expecting to be in front of students like that. And, and that is a horrible loss to say like, like actually Michelle, who she is doesn't matter at all when in fact it probably matters the most. Yeah, I think about like education is one of the only fields where cookie cutter things are acceptable. Like you would never go to the doctor and the doctor would be like, uh, well, I don't know. Some doctors are shady, but uh, for the most part, <laughs> there's a whole topic about black folks and doctors, but for the most part, your doctor is supposed to prescribe something specific to you, to your needs, to your environmental stuff. Like I think about Dr. Nadine Burke, um, who I think we talked about her last week. Did, did we talk about her last mm -hmm. week? Okay. Yeah, we did. We did. Yeah. Say her name three times too. Um, and like, I just remember when she would engage with her, with, with her patients, it was like, they ask you about, they ask about your family history. They ask you about where you live, about what's happening so that they can create a plan that is catered specific to you. And I know that capacity wise, we are not able to, like create individual learning plans for all of our students. However, if we, if you get to know your community, if you ask questions about your babies, if you know the space that you're in, if you've walked the neighborhood um, and walk the neighborhood with an open eye and ear and not, especially if you're not of that neighborhood. So you don't 
Because what you don't want to do is have folks come into spaces and make uh, all kinds of weird assumptions. There's a, the Onion did this one about uh, a, 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 a teacher who was just <clears throat> in a program, I'm not going to say the program's name, who's in a program just to do teaching for two to three years. And it's a really good story. It's about this little boy and she writes about how he doesn't have breakfast and how she brings him breakfast every day and how she cries every day because of all the things that he's experiencing. And then there's a counter letter that he writes and he's just like, why do you have these teachers who don't know nothing about me come into my classroom? And all she does is cry. And I haven't learned not a lick of math from her this whole fourth grade year, but she got them tears. And it's, and it's just like, because she didn't know her community, she didn't know her environment. She made all these kind of assumptions and she came in um, doing what she thought was appropriate. Again, lowering the standards. And so it is, it's crazy that we don't spend this time. I mean, I even think about, I know this is like a bad, like people don't believe this, like teacher ed programs are, are like the car wash, like not the good car wash, but the like the, the gas station car wash where you just kind of like get in the car and go through. And we need like a detail. We need like, get out your car, ma'am, go sit in the lobby. Let's vacuum this thing out. Cause I need you to vacuum all the BS that you have, your preconceived notions that are not gonna be effective for yourself. Let's vacuum all of that out, right? And then let's go ahead and let's like polish you on the outside. Let's coach you with all the educational expertise that you need to be successful. And then let's seal this, let's seal this with this wax. And then you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna throw in some scent in there so that when things are rough, you can still smell why you decided to do that, right? And that, and that like ideology of like actually putting in the work to become a teacher is lost on this country. There's no other job that has as much impact mm -hmm. that we give that you ain't had. If a doctor said was like, "Yo, man, I got on the computer, took a couple classes, and I'm finna cut you up. Let's go." You'd be like, "Nah, bro, you ain't cut me up. Like, I need to see all the degrees, all the degrees, all the things before you open me up." And that's the same thing that we're doing. We're making invisible cuts. Some teachers are making invisible cuts on these babies' lives, and we don't know the impact they don't know the impact until they become an adult and they realize that they have been experiencing all this for so long that was part one of our conversation with nth education partners llc with jerica esther chanel and jennifer you can catch the rest of this interview in our next episode where we share part two thank you